You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. started this morning, I just want to give you some information, some news about First Christian. We are having just a great season right now at First Christian, a time of growth, a time when other churches are struggling and we are financially sound. And so I just want to say a special thank you to you for the ways that you're supporting us through your attendance, through your contribution. Uh, We're growing numerically. This is a great time to be at First Christian. And you also know that it's also a time of a lot of transition where we are searching for a number of new people to serve with us. And you might want a little update on that front. I wish I could give you some names at this point. I can't do that. But we are, we did restart our searches at the first part of January. And those are posted up on our website, firstabq.org slash jobs. So take a look at that. We're looking for people to serve with us along in ministry, and I, and I just wanted you guys to know that things are in progress. Things are going well there. So we invite your continued prayers, as I know that you're praying for me and all of our staff during this season. So with that, let's pray and enter into the Word. God, we thank you for what you are doing at First Christian. We thank you for what you're doing in the lives of each person that's here in this place that's listening online and gather for those who are struggling mightily with disease with diagnosis with affliction we just pray that you be present with each one of us god thank you for the heart of ministry and service that you've planted in each person here at first christian and we pray that we continue to grow as we live out our mission of following jesus And we pray that today as we turn our attention to your word, that you'll open up our hearts and our eyes and our ears, that you will give us the message that we need to hear today. And we pray this through Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. A lot of people say, I'm not the religious type. So just kind of back off. And so if we, if we walk the streets and we ask people about Christians, or maybe we even ask Christians about Christians and say, why did Jesus come? I I think nine out of ten Christians will say, Jesus came to die, right? And they'll pretty quickly say, Jesus came to die for your sins. And if you're a non-Christian, if you're not familiar with the walk of following Jesus, then you'd say, huh? Like, that doesn't make sense. You just come to die. I mean, we all come and eventually are going to... So what's so special about that? How does that make any sense at all? And it is kind of a confusing story if you think about it, right? Well, today, I want you to know that there's much more to the story than just the death. A whole lot more. And I want us to focus on more than just one moment in Jesus' life. As we've been going through the story of Scripture in a blistering pace, right? Twelve weeks straight through the Bible, we've finished six Today we kind of come and we kind of breathe easy, right? We put the Old Testament, the First Testament behind us, and we turn towards Jesus. And we think, okay, I I can breathe here. This is a story I can dive into. 
when we left it, it's kind of incomplete. Because if you just stop with the Old Testament, there's this sense of, well, it could just stall out. You know, what is God doing with this group of people that are deported and captive and they've been judged and they don't feel like they are God's people anymore at all? I mean, God can create a group of people, but he chose not to force them to follow him. God can bless them as a group of people, but he can't. He's chosen to be a God that doesn't require that they follow. He delivers God's people over and over again in spite of their many mistakes, and yet he doesn't put their arm behind their back to make them follow him. He gives the law, but even the law doesn't make them holy simply by following it, because there's so often the times when we don't follow it. He punishes, but it's only to show his love. And so what's to happen? What's to happen with this group of people? In this time, in between the first testament and the second time, there's something of a silence, a 400-year period, sometimes called the intertestamental period, where you just don't hear. You don't hear much what God's up to and what God is doing. And it's, it's a time when people are clinging on to the hope that God has made, and they're clinging on to that hope into some different ways, because they still hope that God's going to establish his kingdom. So there's some ways it looks like, ways that it gets manifest, this hope. And one of them is political. There are people that believe that, you know, we're just, we're just one good regime change from the God's kingdom coming in. A political change, a transformation where we can reorganize and begin to be focused in on God. And so you get lots of revolts like the Maccabean revolt against the Seleucids. And they are trying to establish God's kingdom. In the time of Jesus, we hear about the zealots, people that are willing to put their zeal to work. So there's this dynamic of let's see what we can do politically to establish the kingdom of God. There's another approach where people think, you know, maybe we don't need to violently overthrow what's going on. Maybe we can cooperate, make use of the powers that are there, assimilate in some ways, make sense of things. And this group of people might be best represent Sadducees. They were from the line, an old school group of priests from the time of Zadok. And they try to cooperate and do some political alliances. And that's one way they're hoping for the kingdom of God to be established. Another approach is to think maybe this is going to happen spiritually or maybe by truly returning back to the book. And so during this time, you get the arrival of the, the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament. Because people stopped being able to speak Hebrew during this time. The conquering powers had wiped the language out to where you had to speak Greek. And it was a Hellenistic time for the Jews. Well, this spiritual one might be best represented by the Pharisees, law followers, keepers of, of the book, becoming people of the book. So those three are there, but then there's another. There's always those people that think, you know, the temple system erupt, Jerusalem is messed up. Let's go off and start all over again. Let's go into the desert. Let's begin a community. And so they take up some scrolls from the temple in Jerusalem, and the Essenes head out into the desert. And a lot of their language is a lot like, believe it or not, of John the Baptist. Light and dark. 
opposing forces in the world. So these are, are all there. They're kind of overlapping. They're not fixed poles. But all of them share something very specific. They're all hoping for a Messiah. Do we do that sometimes? We, we hope for one leader to come along and make everything better. That's what they're hoping for, the Messiah, Hebrew for king, Christ, Greek for king. And they believe the prophecies of Jeremiah and so many other prophets, but like Jeremiah 23, 5, and 6, that God sent a son of David to come and be king among the group of people. Or like Isaiah 11 that we've mentioned many times, and I talked about even at Christmas, that out of the dead stump of our hopes would grow something new, a new leader. The people's dreams, political, economic, social, who this is begins kings and messiahs until it comes to Jesus. Jesus embodies these central hopes that in his flesh that he would be an answer to one of those four questions. Political, compromise, withdrawing, a spiritual answer, that Jesus would be the one. And so we get these stories about Jesus' life, his birth, his life among us, his death, and his resurrection. His birth shows us that God wants to be with us. Because think about this amazing collapsing of stories where the story of God comes to, in physical form, the story of humanity. God with us and also God among us. This life that Jesus lived, walking the streets, interacting, healing, teaching, was a life of God living among his people. And he died. He suffered and died, showing that God is willing to suffer with us and for us. And yet, that's not the end of the story. So much of what we do, like I said at the beginning, is focus on the death of Jesus. But the death of Jesus doesn't mean as much without the resurrection of Jesus. To know that God brings life through death. That God takes what is evil and sinful, what corrodes this earth, and brings new life right in the middle of it. It's a beautiful story, if you will. Uh-oh, gospel. There is a term that we use a lot as Christians, right? It's a slippery term. I, I like to bring it up and define it a lot. Am I right? I like to bring this word out and say, okay, now what do we mean by the word gospel? Because I kind of think that a lot of Christians think of it almost like a rail car. It's kind of dangerous to talk about trains. Right? And we just hook up all kinds of meaning, railroad car after railroad car of meaning, and the gospel is carrying all this freight, and some of those rail cars shouldn't be there. Some of them have hazardous waste, and others of them have really good teaching that need to be there. So when we look at the good news of the gospel, it's not a good news about me. Because if we talk about good news at its basics, it's like, well, whatever I think is good news is good news. If Oklahoma beats Texas, that's good news. If Michigan beats Ohio State, that's good news. And then you just kind of lean back and you say, well, wait a second. That depends on where you sit, right? 
That's a very important part about good news is where do you sit? Is it good news for everyone? The good news is truly an exciting message. It's a message that meant at the time the birth of a child, specifically the birth of a Roman ruler. It was an announcement of things turning around. It's also, the word gospel, a genre, a type of book, a story about a God. And that's what we're looking at today is the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that are four stories about the life of Jesus Christ. It's also a message that Jesus proclaimed. Yes, that's right. Jesus proclaimed this message of the gospel. And that's where I'm going to spend a lot of my time today. And the reason why is that the gospel came before Jesus. Isaiah 52, 7 talks about the announcement of the gospel. Isaiah 52, 7 talks about this messenger coming who will announce peace, shalom, well-being for everyone. Announces that people will be saved. They'll find peace healing and health it's a gospel good news that announces that god now that's a message that's true from the beginning of time that god reigns and rules and it was the message that jesus proclaimed it was the simplicity core content of his entire message so in the new testament we get this message that had been given and was proclaimed about peace about salvation, about God reigning, and it shows up in human form, Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, we learn that this is a message that truly is about Jesus, a message of God arriving to live among us. In Mark chapter 1, that first chapter, the first 14 verses, gives great definition to gospel, but the first verse in, in particular the beginning of the good news, there's the word, gospel, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Son of God. There's a lot packed into that. That Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. That Jesus is the Son of God. There's a divinity to Jesus. And that it is good news that can be announced. So what I want you to hear, if we just press pause here, is that the gospel is a message that's about Jesus. And it is also a message that Jesus proclaimed. It's our message too. A message about the arrival of the kingdom of God. That it's here, that it's now. And if you need to see that in particular, we were in Mark 1 just now, verse 14 and 15 show that. That Jesus announced that message of the kingdom of God around us. Now if I have to put it really, really simple, the way I like to talk about the gospel is that it's the good news about what God does that humans can't. That's truly good news. It's a message of good news for everyone if we're talking about those things that God is able to do that we can't do. And I want to do something here to kind of connect the kingly things about Jesus' life to make them make a little bit more sense to us. Because this message that Jesus proclaimed about himself and about the arrival of the kingdom of God was also something that he left behind with us. And Luke chapter 4 is a great, a great chapter to look at. 
It's one where we'll spend the majority of our time today because it gives to us some stories from Jesus' existence that are very interesting and quite funny. The first one is one of my favorites. It's when he goes to preach in his hometown of Nazareth. Always a scary thing. Now, they're always on your side when you go and you preach to your hometown, but in Luke chapter 4, he goes and he preaches the arrival of the kingdom of God, his message that the kingdom is here, and he takes on this mantle of messiahship, and everyone is thrilled. They're pleased and excited. Verse 18 and 19. They connect up to Isaiah 61, and Jesus says something pretty bold. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to announce peace, to proclaim that God reigns. Does that sound familiar to you? Yes, it's this Old Testament idea of gospel. And everyone is like, amen, brother, preach it. Yes, hometown boy, we love him. He's our man, he's our man. If he can't do it, nobody can. But you remember that thing that I said about good news? I don't know where you fell on those teams that I mentioned. But if you're on the opposite teams, you don't feel as good about that. So what Jesus then went on to say is that this is a message that includes non-Jews. This includes all people, everyone, widows, all backgrounds. And you know what happens then? They're ready to kill him. Wow, that's a quick shift. They're giving him the MVP award, and then they're throwing him over a cliff. And the reason is, they would like an exclusive understanding of the good news. And this is why I repeatedly will say to you, if the gospel is not good news for everyone, it is not good news. Because the message that Jesus proclaimed is a message he was willing to die for, and it was a message of inviting all into the kingdom of God. That is a radical message. A message that he's able to slip through the crowds because it's not his time to die Remember, his message is about him, but it's also about the arrival of the kingdom of God for all people. And so, if you look through the Gospel of Luke, I'll just say this quickly. The kingdom of God, the good news, is for everyone. Gospel shows up at Jesus' birth in Luke 2, 10. In Luke 4, where we just talked about this message for being, being for all nations, Good news is described as the works that John the Baptist is doing to heal people and to proclaim release to captives in chapter 7, verse 22. And it's the content, the good news, is the content of Jesus' preaching. Luke 8, 1. Luke 9, 6. Luke 16, 16. Luke 20, verse 1. Each one of those places, gospel is connected to Jesus' message. Another thing happens in Luke chapter 4. Here we are right now in 2023 in the weeks leading up to Easter, right? Last week we had a meal. Some people had organized a Lenten meal. This time of the 40 days leading up to Easter is a time where we embody and in our mind and in our practice Jesus' preparation in the wilderness. 40 days without food. 40 days of focus with God. And in Luke chapter 4, he spent some time in the presence of God before he comes to give this message that he was so clear on. And this time, he is confirmed by God after his baptism 
as being the Son of God. And in this time of the wilderness and the temptation, he, he gets in touch with what his mission is all about. And three big temptations come, and they come in a way that I really want you to catch. This is kind of its own little mini-sermon all of its own, when the devil tempts Jesus to turn rocks into bread. This is a great temptation for a kingly, ambitioned person. Can you make food to feed the people? And Jesus says, no, I'm, I'm not going to live by bread alone. I'm going to live by what comes from the mouth of God. There's this temptation as a leader to provide economic stability for your people. Even pointing back to Moses, a spiritual leader. Oh, he provided manna for the people in the wilderness. Well, Jesus moves past an easy winning of the people. Temptation number two, the devil comes to Jesus and says, I'll give you all the kingdoms. You don't have to do any of this death stuff. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to be rejected in any way. And the temptation is to get power in a very easy way. Or even to establish it in a way that won't cause harm to you, to let other people do the violence. Because the devil has all kinds of people, weak-minded people, who are eager and ready to move towards violence at the moment's notice. I'll act for you, says the devil. And Jesus says, no, that's not the way we're going to do it third temptation. Not political, not economic, but not certainly a spectacle. Jesus will put you up at the top. I've, I've been on the roof of this church before. Some of you know this. Just jump from up there, Brady. I know what you're trying to do. To count on God to do something miraculous, to create a spectacle Smoke, mirrors, magic, whatever it is to draw people into the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, no, no, I'm taking a different route. It's not going to be about making people's faith so sure that they don't have to trust. They're going to have to follow me through this life of suffering. In fact, Jesus establishes kingdom through his suffering, through his death and through his resurrection. I want you to catch this full-bodied understanding of Jesus' mission. That God came to live among us. There's work that Jesus did in his life. That yes, there was a sacrifice. There is a death. It's very much important. But there's also a resurrection of what makes life even more meaningful, of what makes our death even more meaningful. And Jesus shows that his life is one that brings all of this together. I do want to read a passage to you from Luke chapter 1. Now this is verse 72. And it kind of connects a lot of the things that we've been saying. Thus God has shown mercy, promised to our ancestors, Luke 1, 72. That he's remembered his holy covenant. We know about that. That's the promise that came first. The oath that he swore to our ancestor Abram to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High, for you will go before him to prepare his ways. God brings things together in Jesus Christ. And it's unexpected. 
It's unexpected because the blood that was spilt is not blood in violence. It's a blood that was spilled because Jesus willingly gave himself up to the political authorities, the religious authorities, the economics of his day. He surrendered to all of them and made his journey toward Jerusalem, a city that's very significant, a location that in some ways is is metaphorical for his journey towards death and his journey away from Jerusalem to the entire world. Jerusalem, a city that kills the prophets, certainly would kill this prophet, this son of God. And yet, the death fails the expectations. The death does not stop Jesus from reigning. In fact, it allows Jesus to reign in a powerful, powerful way. Jesus' death teaches us that God is willing to get down in the muck of life with us. Not just send messengers, not just send us books, not send us things to do, but to be attached to human history. And that Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection show us this message of the arrival of the kingdom of God in human history. That Jesus' message, as Luke proclaims it from his own lips of Jesus, Luke 19.10, I came to seek and save the lost. That's what I'm about. To draw people into the kingdom of God. And you know what he was doing in that moment? He was welcoming in a tax collector. Someone on the outside. Someone that had partnered politically to make money. And yet, he's pulling him into his life, his way of existing. We're witnesses to this example, to this life in the kingdom of God. And I know some of us might say, I'm just really not the religious type. Good news is only good news if it's good news for me, for number one. Good news is only good if it can advance my own kingdom, the kingdom of self. Because my mission is happiness at all costs. I just want you to know that the story that we read from is a story that's a counter view to that. It's a story of God being with us in a very powerful way. And God living among us and being willing to die for us and in spite of us. To dwell inside of us. So that that powerful kingdom of God won't just come in Jesus' life, but that Jesus will come into your life and the kingdom of God will arrive by the way that you conduct your life. That you surrender your mission of happiness, of good news only for you, and you begin to see this mission as much more expansive, that you are a part of God's mission to the whole world, to every person that you meet. Let's pray. God, we thank you for being a God with us, among us, and in us. And Father, we thank you that we get to do that right here in Albuquerque, New Mexico, with the people of First Christian Albuquerque. And we pray that in this moment in particular that we will welcome you in, to let you knock down the walls that we've built in our heart, to, to take away the blindness of our eyes, to unstop our ears from the ways we've plugged them to your gentle call on our lives.
and that we will allow you to be king and let you be God because we announce that salvation has come through Jesus. We announce that peace is here. We announce that you are our God and you reign. And we pray through Jesus. Amen.